Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's review-only episode of the show, we'll be talking all about Wind River, a new murder mystery from writer-director Taylor Sheridan, whose previous screenwriting credits include Sicario and Hell or High Water, that takes place in a desolate, unforgiving stretch of the Wind River Northern Arapaho Reservation in western Wyoming. I'll be joined, as always, by New Haven Independent reporter Alan Appel for the review. Alan, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Always a pleasure, Tom. Thank you. So, in Wind River, writer-director Taylor Sheridan's new murder mystery set on a small Indian reservation in the mountains of Wyoming, men have many pithy ways of describing the merciless land in which they live. Corey Lambert, a professional hunter played by Jeremy Renner who tracks down and kills lions and wolves that prey upon local livestock, says that this is not a land of luck, but one of courage and survival. Ben, a world-weary Indian sheriff, played by actor Graham Greene, tells a cautious FBI agent that this is not a land of waiting for backup, but a land of going it alone. As Lambert and Ben and out-of-town agent Jane Banner, played by Elizabeth Olsen, seek to unravel the mystery around who has raped and murdered a Native American teenage girl left to die barefoot in the snowy and desolate wilderness, the question that lingers throughout each scene is, what has this land taken away from these people, and what does it reveal about them when there is no luck and there is no backup. So, Alan, as you watch Wind River, did you find yourself willing to run barefoot through the snow however long it would take to find out who done it in this Western murder mystery? Or were you content to pack your bags, fill your lungs with warm summer air, and return to the more forgiving climes of L.A., New York, or sunny coastal New Haven? Ooh, I wanted to do both. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's in your introduction, uh, those, those two quotations are exactly what I circled, so... Uh, I, I used your notes. What are you going to say? Well, yes. I guess we'll find out, listeners. <laughs> I know, how did you use my notes? Well, oh, because there was nobody else in the theater but me when I saw this, which is a shame because it, I think it's just a wonderful, gripping movie. The actual quote about luck is, um, uh, it's, it, it's to be accurate since uh, I've been a well-trained reporter. I was paraphrasing. Right. It says, um, it, it, Jeremy Renner says to uh, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. Olsen, who's the his, his co-star, luck don't live out here. Uh, in the uh, it lives only in the city because uh, they're totally on their own. So I I, I really was um, uh, in the grip of this film. I thought it was wonderful, and uh, you know, uh, as I walked out, I was thinking of now what is this like? And then and then the, the first thoughts that came to mind are the kind of severity of a, of a No Country for Old Men, Cormac McCarthy, and then another uh, I didn't think of Sicario. Uh, which I get, we'll talk about was uh, was a previous movie we talked about here, but there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, disease movie that we talked about. I think it was called Maria or something, where he plays a father, and this is a lot about fatherhood, um, and he's the father of a daughter who uh, is I don't know bitten by whatever it is that causes the virus, and you remember he's trying to protect her from him being sent to a zone called the quarantine. I think this is one that you had actually seen independently of me oh, oh, and oh. shared your own review. So I, I'm just relying upon my memory of your review. But this sounds this sounds uh, applicable to this kind of desolate, fatalistic, right Western and, environment. And if you give yourself over to the severity of it, uh, you know it does it does cast a spell. And um, and uh, when it makes a mistake, uh, when it offers a kind of false note or false hope, which this movie does here and there, and it's kind of praise of. Uh, I think uh, kind of the cliched notions of uh, Native Americans loving the silence and loving the snow, uh, even though it's obviously the isolation is killing them. It it it, it, it because the movie is so uh, true to itself most of the time. 
um, you notice that because it does cast a spell. You know, the, uh, so th- one of the reasons why I wanted to start with the, the many uh, kind of pithy aphorisms that this movie's screenplay reaches for and to describe the land is because I think that uh, that embodies its, maybe its weaknesses and its strengths for me. And it, and it also links to other movies in the genre that I think um, kind of seek to describe the American West in somewhat similar ways. No Country for Old Men is a perfect example. Even just looking at the title, I mean, that title is the, the type of phrase that these characters look to formulate when they're trying to describe their kind of fatalistic alienation from everyone around them and the hopelessness that they feel uh, in this this barren landscape. Another, right, right, it would be, this is no country for young girls. Right, <laughs> It's true. Uh, another line that came to mind, uh, maybe describing a different type of Western, the Western of more classical Hollywood that this movie is pushing back against, is the great line from uh, John Ford's The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is, uh, at the end of the movie, the reporter tearing up his notes about Jimmy Stewart, the politician, as he's just told the story about how he killed Liberty Valance. And when Jimmy Stewart asks him, are you not going to print this incriminating story about me? And he says, this is the West. Jimmy Stewart character's name, uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Uh, and I think that that notion of, uh, you know, the West and American, you know, movies representations of the West as leaning towards the legend, leaning towards the John Wayne getting out of the stagecoach and, you know, twirling his pistol in, in a heroic and a inspiring way is exactly what this movie is trying to move against. A- every one of the aphorisms that this movie throws out there is to, like, stare down the cold, unforgiving eye of the snow and the violence that besets this community uh, and not print the legend, but print the fact over and over and over again until it kind of oppresses you into a, a drug-induced haze in a trailer, as we see some of the characters in this movie, or as the Jeremy Renner as the Jeremy Renner character tries to find some kind of equanimity amidst amidst all of this solitude. I think that the big weakness of the movie for me is well, there there are a couple. Um, one is the talkiness of it. Uh, I, I find that this is a really gripping murder mystery until it finds itself just enclosed in the cages of these two-way conversations between characters that are just explaining their backstories. I'm thinking in particular of the big scene in the middle where Jeremy Renner's character explains how he lost his daughter, which is a very important part of his character. I mean, he's a father beset with grief. This is the motivating you know, force behind his trying to figure out the murder that forms the, the core of the story. But there's so much propulsion to the story where we're kind of constantly moving forward or in circles or just, we're just moving, you know, moving, trying to figure out um, who has committed this murder and what kind of dastardly area it's going to lead us to. But then there, there are moments when this movie just stops dead still. And, and the, the writer director doesn't have enough kind of keen enough of visual eye to make it interesting when people are just talking with one another, which I, I think is a, a big problem when you have dialogue that is, relying a bit too much on aphorism and metaphor i mean i I get those are those are good when delivered in small bites right we want to hear like your big pronouncement on on a place but delivered every now and then so that we you know we have the images and the story to back up this kind of big you know comprehensive understanding of it but when we're when we're kind of bludgeoned with platitudes in a in a setting where dialogue is supposed to be the most engaging part of the movie it, it really it really turned me off um, but I, it sounds it sounds like it. I think I think uh, I think it cast a spell more, uh, more strongly on me. Hmm. Um, uh, and it's interesting, uh, apropos of uh, too much dialogue. I came across some quotation from Taylor uh, Taylor Taylor Sheridan, 
who I believe began as an actor, and he 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 says in this quotation somewhere on Rotten Tomatoes or where, where, wherever. Well, could you pull the mic a bit closer? Sure. It, 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 he he says uh, as as an actor, uh, when he he reads a script, uh, he has got triple antennae for exposition. He hates exposition. He wants the it's it's interesting. So uh, he wants the he wants the things to be conveyed through the actors acting or through the camera doing what it does. On the other hand, maybe he there are places where he hasn't mastered it and he is substituted these um, aphorisms for exposition, and that's what you're what, what's flagging. But uh, the other point I wanted to make before I forget it, I think, is that it really didn't remind me of uh, Westerns and a, and a kind of ro- almost romantic uh, John Ford film like The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance uh, is sort of in a uh, in a in a different world from this. I mean, I was I, I was uh, I, I obviously it's the West, it's Wyoming, um, but uh, you know it it made me think of. Um, um, movies like uh, uh, how not to make movies that glorify Native Americans. You know, there was a period in movie history when, uh, you know, when Little Big Man in the 1980s and movies about... Dances uh, with Wolves. Dances with Wolves, wherever, you know, Chief Dan George, and they were, you know... Uh, uh, this is a lot about the decay and drug addiction and the and the and um, the uh, the hopelessness of living on a reservation. It re- it really is. Uh, it, it paints a true picture of that at the same time that it sustains um, this kind of uh, quality that celebrates the elemental um, wind and river, which is the name of the um, reservation. But I thought the movie well could have been titled "Wind, River, and Blood." Because the other, the other kind of through line is all about uh, human nature. I think it also ele- it works on a level of uh, the predatoriness of, uh, well, life among the animal species. But this movie says, how about we include human beings? So there are a couple of different ways that I think we could approach talking about this movie's representation of a Native American reservation and Native American life and, I guess, hopelessness in this context. But I, I guess one is maybe this is the same fault that the movie takes, but the movie's uh, kind of pair of main characters are not Native Americans. We have Jeremy Renner's Hunter, who whose, I guess, ethnic identity seems to be a bit ambiguous, but he sits either in an in-between place or... Uh, he's kind of an outsider everywhere he goes. He's, well, he, he, he seems ma- to be he recognized. Mar- he married into he it. He married into it, and, and he's recognized by many in the reservation as an outsider. Well, he's become, he's sort of like the Indian equivalent of a white Negro. Right. Yes. I I, th- I actually think that is an, an, an apt description for this character because of the way that he, you know, he is someone who has kind of willfully dedicated his life to, there, there's this, what, talk about the, the lines that really did movie, there's a line early, very early on in the in the movie uh, d- during an interaction between Jeremy Renner and his son. And that relationship is really dropped about 20 minutes into the movie. We, we don't really return to his uh, kind of immediate nuclear family. But he's teaching his son how to ride a horse. And, and the kid is a little nervous. He gets on the horse. He has a great time. He's feeling really proud of himself. And he looks at his dad all aglow. And he says, that was real cowboy of me, wasn't he? And, <laughs> and, and the dad says, no, that wasn't real cowboy. That was real Arapaho. Uh, and, and I think that speaks to this character's um, his reverence and like respect, but not uh, not kind of crude idealization of the 
people in the community in which he lives. He's trying to to single out the the values that you know. It's it's easy to look at this reservation and see nothing but but hopelessness and despair. He's trying to to identify the characteristics that really help him succeed that he finds in this community. His ability, his attention to detail, his ability to track right animals and people and anything. He's a white man, but he's a better hunter than the Arapaho family and tribe that he's married into. And I think that's one of the things that this guy, uh, Sheridan, the director, likes. He really likes to upend things and uh, kind of surprise you and break the rules because it's unusual. Here you have the reservation where all the where the greatest the greatest tracker, the person who um, I mean, we see him in these really quite uh, stunning opening scenes um, shooting wolves. Uh, to protect sheep, and, and how he, wonderful is his camouflage in this movie? Uh, he where he's not—he's he dressed all—he's like a yeti. He's dressed all in white, right? He's this big, invisible white presence that a couple times throughout the movie just appears out of nowhere, right? In his giant snow, and suit. he does these remarkable things that you know, in terms of shooting and everything else, and and even uh, even his father-in-law, his father-in-law, I guess, yes. Uh, they every they, they look up to him as the the tracker par excellence, and. It's a uh, it's something that is, you know is contrary to to the conventions of uh, Western and there are other there are other things that he resists. Um, uh, there's no happy ending. There's no real resolution. There's a hint of love, but only a hint. Well, so here here is where I, so I, I love the um, the development of the Renner character and I find him quite unique and, and engaging. But I think my problem with it is when he's not the only outsider in this story. We have a whole different outsider in the form of the FBI agent uh, played by Elizabeth Olsen, who is kind of the exact opposite of Renner in that she is from Florida and Las Vegas, where she's used to warmer, more hospitable climes. She really has no idea about uh, this environment or this, this, this life, but she, the, the, the kind of pairing of the two as both outsiders, um, it kind of diluted the, um, the understand the kind of more authentic understanding of the reservation for me because I, I kind of feel like we this movie sets up in such a way where we have we could have someone who's a total outsider and then a total insider and the way that they navigate this terrain ut- utilizes both of their strengths or we could have just one person who kind of sits in both and we see the tension kind of but but with having two outsiders being our entry point into this world I found it took a little too much away from the Native American reservation to the to the detriment of the Native American characters, where they turn into. I mean, heaven help the the two like beautiful young supermodel women who are the raped and murder victims in the story. Yeah, you know, yeah. they they are not agents at all. They are just kind of vehicles for sorrow and weary that to help these these kind of white people learn lessons. I don't think that every Native American character is portrayed that way, but I, I do think that the the maybe t- proliferation is too big a word, but two outsider white people trying to navigate this world together seem to pull me a little bit too much outside of the Wind, Reser- Wind River Reservation, where this movie is, you know, is does such a great job of using space as a character. You know, we're always longing for the setting to have like an imprint upon the way that these characters work, and this movie does. It does, and and a lot and a lot of uh, and a lot of the uh, uh, the point of view of the camera is not only of the of the um overwhelming expanse of the mountains and the trees and the um and the snow but but uh, also it's very low down it's almost as if from the point of view of a hunter lying on the ground or a wolf looking at its prey and uh, but but I but I concede your um, your point is well taken I can see how native americans might say all this movie 
you know, through the eyes of these uh, white people, essentially shows not a single thing that's genuinely good about this uh, reservation. I mean, even the even the the head of the police who gets shot in this uh, kind of quite we can talk about it. This not not quite credible massacre at the end. Oh, that was one of my favorite scenes. Oh, in the there movie, you so go. Yeah. But but he says uh, he, uh, the the Elizabeth Olsen character says to him, "You need me here. They don't want her. She's considered a fed. So you you do you do get that." Uh, what's conveyed very well is the sense of um, what have you done for us ever relationship to a federal officer who shows up, even though she's a, a beautiful young woman from uh, uh, from Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> but 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 she says to him, you've got to you've got to let me work on this. And um, in that inconclusive scene where unless the death of the girl is ruled a murder, she cannot bring in any resources. I, and that's unresolved in the film. I don't know how they. They figured that out, but the movie runs on without, they skipped that scene. But my, I guess my, my, what was my point? My point is that, um, so the, you concede that the two outsiders may be a bit too much for either native Americans watching this movie or people looking for a representation of kind of oh, a native yeah. American, uh, perspective or character in this movie. It's, it dilutes that, that trend a, a little bit bit too much for my liking right. one, one example one example of a scene that i thought worked really well where we could have just one outsider character is the jeremy renner character when he's talking to the the brother of the woman who's been murdered and he is trying to coax out of him any kind of information about who the boyfriend of his sister may have been now there we just have two people in a car um kind of battling it out where we understand each of their backgrounds without them explaining everywhere where they come from we know that one person has kind of chosen you know has internalized this desolation and gone one route one has internalized this, the grief of losing his daughter and gone another uh and and we see that like tension in that front seat <laughs> now this this also speaks to one thing that movie westerns this one included just revere that i find very problematic politically is this love of vigilante justice i mean this you know the cops are nice but when you can have someone who's unaffiliated with the law to wield a gun and maybe exert some some actual physical force on the bad guys even this movie i mean it it works in the context of the movie but it's something that every single western seems to to love going back to the john john ford stuff as well and it's it always leaves me a bit uneasy right i mean even even in uh uh, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, where they, <clears throat> they, the, you know, they've located this, uh, this, this group of people who gang raped this girl, and then they ran off. There was, there was one uh, survivor of uh, uh, the the shootout, um, and he goes off into the snow. And he, the Jeremy Renner character tells Elizabeth Olsen character, you know, if you let me go after him, he's not going to come back. Basically, enlisting her and giving the nod for him to to do essentially vigilante justice. Um, yeah. So uh, what, what you say, what you say is true. Um, yeah. And uh, e- even in Westerns, I'm thinking of like a, the fa- a famous Henry Fonda film called the Oxbow incident um, where um, the, they confront the issue uh, and, and, and he, 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 uh, he's against the vigilante justice uh, that when the, it's taken on here, there is um, um, they equivocate, but they, they give into it. You're listening to Deep Focus on WNHHLP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and I'm talking with New Haven independent reporter Alan Appel about the new movie Wind River from director and writer Taylor Sheridan uh, about a a murder mystery in the Wind River Northern Arapaho Reservation in western Wyoming. Um, 
you know, I, I kind of kicked off our review by talking about some of my frustrations around the uh, the talkiness of some of the scenes. Um, I'd love to talk about one scene in particular that I thought is just expertly choreographed and coordinated and, and is the best of this murder mystery all captured in, in one moment. And I think it, you referenced it earlier as, as the not too plausible shootout scene. So we may get a little, a little spoilery here for listeners who haven't seen it, but I th- without giving too many specific details away, um, the, uh, a, a group of police officers find themselves uh, in this. I'm, I'm not sure who these people, they're working security for uh, an oil company or some kind of energy extraction company uh, near the reservation. And we have an understanding that one or all of these people are suspects in, in this rape and murder. And the way that Sheridan frames it, uh, the way that he positions the bodies, we see there are probably 10 people uh, in the frame. We see them all. These, this is done through long shots, not through close-ups. We see everyone lined up all at once. We know exactly where each person is in this line. And then the line slowly becomes a circle. And we realize this isn't just like a, an aesthetic change of shapes and how they're walking to the trailer. We realize that most likely someone is trying to encircle another, like a wolf circling around the sheep. And we're not quite sure who the wolves are, and we're not quite sure who the sheep are, but we're quite confident that something terrible is about to happen. Right. And the way that this movie builds up right. the suspense, where we know that something's going to break, but we're not exactly sure. There's enough uncertainty to keep you looking and not just, you know... Uh, about to uh, kind of indulge in something that you know is going to happen. Right. I and, found and that expertly an, done. Yeah, and there's also, it's it's even deeper, uh, there's another layer on top of that because w- w- uh, the, 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 that choreography that you described is also intercut with uh, the point of view of the, the, the hunter, the Jeremy Renner character who's up in the mountains because he knows what's going to happen. He always knows because because he sees beyond the his great line is the reason he's up there is because he knows something bad's going to happen. But, but, uh, he says, um, to, to the FBI agent, uh, Elizabeth Olson, you're looking for clues, but you're missing all the signs. See, that's the kind of, <laughs> those are, <laughs> Another those are the aphorism. kind of aphorisms that but delivered the, sparingly. Right, but really that love. stuff doesn't, the reason you like the scene you just described is because, uh, there are no aphorisms. All there are is just a, a mounting thread in the kind of Sam Peckinpah, uh, spirit. I mean, uh, I just couldn't believe when the gun started going off uh, that anybody could survive all that. Or any, I mean, I mean, the moment of uh, horror was really wonderful. But actually, before that happens, he pulls off a great kind of coup de theatre or coup de the trans- cinema. The transition to the flashback. Yes. Yes. Isn't that it's what so a wonderful, wonderful, tra- wonderful transition? And now the contents of the flashback, I found pretty banal <laughs> like i they, i mean the these care you know we see two characters lying in bed talking about how they would love to move to this you know small quaint peaceful southern california uh, town and they joke about new york and chicago and then and then we see some acts of pretty brutal violence you know Lu- i saw this with lucy uh the reporter for the arts paper um last night and she really loved the movie but she's also a very big fan of law and order as <laughs> and, and like csi and those types of 
uh, crime shows on on network TV. And this really felt like one of those to her where sexual violence is used as much to like titillate the the viewer as it is to and also to impart like lessons to the characters who have survived as, as it is to, I mean, this movie kind of wants to have it both ways where it's commenting upon an actual like social problem, especially in its text at the beginning and the end of the movie. But mostly it's, we just have a lot of like very beautiful people being uh, subjected to some pretty terrible things. And then we get back to the, the kind of propulsion of the mystery. So I, I found that contest of the flashback a little too law and ordery for me, but, but the, the transition was beautiful. But not only that, the, the genius of it is that, the whole movie uh, propels you towards, uh, uh, you know, we're all trying to find out what happened. And the, the solution to the crime is completely revealed in the flashback. And um, so... W- Which Jeremy Renner's character seems to know, you know, at the very knows, final scene, he knows every detail, even he, though right. he wasn't in the flashback. <laughs> right, he wasn't in it, but he know, he knows it all. It's And, uh, you know, uh, I guess you could fault all that. In, and, and you also could fault the shootout for sort of, uh, what are they? What are, you know, tying up all the threads of the movie all too quickly, um, uh, to get to the denouement, which is uh, something that I, I did want to ask you about um, the way the uh, the kind of um, uh, vigilante justice uh, is is exerted here. I thought for sure that the guy was going to run off and get eaten by wolves. A lion, perhaps, or the, or yeah, because the Jerry yeah. Renner character was uh, going off looking for this um, mountain lion, lion. That had, mountain lion, a family of mountain lions, three right? of them, which I love. I mean, there. So this movie, it I think on paper it may be laden a bit too much with symbolism, but while watching the movie itself, intercut the scenes of the pack of lions, you know, hunting down these uh, these sheep and cows with the men working at this, you know, oil field or whatever it is, um, hunting down these women. I think the parallel, again, it works so much better visually than if you're just thinking, oh, great, constant comparisons of a lion to a person. It, it could yeah. be a bit and, overbearing. And, yeah, and there's there's other stuff in this movie that, uh, you know, that uh, it's you know, it gives it another kind of rich layer of texture. It really, there's a lot in here about the... the um, uh, and maybe this is another, you know, way humans are similar to animals, but, but um, it's the, you know, fear of uh, parents, especially fathers raising daughters. Uh, we should point out that when the, when the, when the movie is over, um, because the Jeremy Renner character had his, uh, he lost his daughter as a young teenager and, and the, and the character in the, the move, the, the movie, the current moment, she's gone also. So the, um, Although the, the 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 movie is framed at the beginning by saying based on actual events, I don't think they tell us what the case was or what the news story was or what the book was. It's just actual events. You know, you never know. But at the end, it says um, statistics for missing persons are kept for m- almost all communities in the United States except for uh, uh, Indian reservations. It is not and no- women in particular, and, wi- and, and it is not known how many. Uh, young Native American women have gone missing. So I found, you know, I find this a very worthy cause for a or subject for a movie. Uh, and I applaud Taylor Sheridan for, you know, not turning Indians into the character kind of stereotypes that they're also often turned into in Westerns. But I did find that the actual contents of this movie were much less interested in, especially the Indian women. I, I found that the Indian women were really only used as vehicles for, um, for teaching lessons to the white people and to the men, uh, vehicles for the expression of sorrow and grief. I mean, think about the, there's one kind of 
glimpse of the mother of the murdered young woman as she's cutting herself in in the bedroom. Uh, we we just see the the Fed, you know, the FBI agent just peek into the bedroom looking to ask the mom some questions, and we see her uh, her just cut cutting herself in, in sorrow. And unfortunately, in the context of the movie, that scene is really just used to deliver a lesson to the FBI agent, as opposed to investigate any of the actual sorrow that this person is experiencing. And so I find that the women are, are a little too much used for the purposes of, you know, for other reasons than actually the focal points of our concern. Now, I will say that's not true for the men in that the relationship between Jeremy Renner and Gail Birmingham's character, who's the father of the the um, the murdered woman, is was quite a moving relationship quite powerful, for me. Quite powerful. Um, and, and towards the end, in fact, oh. that's how the movie ends. Will you, will yeah. you, will you, you know, the, they've taken everything from us. The father of the murdered girl says absolutely everything except the snow and the silence. And that's what they end up uh, meditating on the two of them. And actually the the camera pulls back and they're not meditating on some gorgeous uh, mountain setting. It's, you know, like some crappy trailers seen through some overhead wires and a swing set, yeah. right? The so, absence of kids. That's what. That's what I. I mean. I mean, the movie does have these faults. Yeah, but you could say the. You know, the the director can't go everywhere. Um, apropos of the Indian women. Although I thought the scene with um, the the mother of the murdered girl, in which she equips the uh, totally ill-equipped Las Vegas-based uh, FBI agent with mittens and gloves and snowshoes and everything. And she makes a point to saying, um, bring it back. It's not a gift. I need, you know, as if to say, I know what world you come from and this is our, and I need that stuff. Thank you very much. No, you're right. You know, I'd forgotten about that scene. And, and I think that's is a counter to what I, w- I was just offering. But I do think that, you know, yes, a movie can't be everything to all characters and all people, but when it's so explicitly stating that it's interested in the disappearances and and neglect of Indian women for the movie to do something kind of similar, um, I found a bit dissonant as, as I watched it. Well, I think its focus is, is the relationship between fathers and daughters, Indian fathers and Indian daughters, uh, you know, uh, married, in, you know. I mean, it's really about that. I mean, one of the, one of the really... Um, um, you know, cautionary lines early in, in in the film when we're getting a little bit of the backstory of what happened to the Jeremy, uh, you know, uh, to the Jeremy Renner daughter when he's talking to, I guess it's Wilma, his ex-wife, um, is, you know, out here, you you can't you can't let up even one bit. You have to watch them and watch them and watch them. We made one mistake and that was fatal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's scary, but you know, uh, as a as a father of uh, a daughter and children, I mean, you, you know, you do you do wonder. Um, uh, the circumstances are very different, but the um, you know the anxiety of parenthood is is extreme, especially in a place that offers um, so little for for children. I mean, I mean the you know before before this girl is uh, is ganged raped, she's. Uh, She's drawn to the only sort of civilized human being in the oil rigging crew because he can talk about strange places like Los Angeles and Chicago, which strike this girl. And Afghanistan, right? He's, he's he seems a soldier. To be so, yeah. I mean, these places are like Mars to her. You know, I, I, I do think that the, the most interesting relationship explored is, or the kind of familial status explored is that of a, a father uh, and the grief a father experiences and the, the anxiety a father experiences around the safety of his children. Um, I, I do appreciate how this movie, 
you know, it shows us the um, the responsibility that this character feels for the death of his child and for anyone like his child. Whereas, I, at least, you know, speaking not from the perspective of a father, just as a son thus far, as, uh, um, you know, there's clearly nothing he could have done to better protect his daughter. Uh, I mean, he's, he talks about how he spends one night away, you know, from the house with his wife on a rare night off. And that's when, you know, this, this horrible encounter occurs. Uh, and to see him so burdened with that sense of guilt, uh, I find is, you know, a, a really, you know, interesting and, and sorrowful and, and, you know, uh, important, uh, emotional response to this thing to, to reflect upon and that he clearly, you know, this environment tells us that, you know, he may say that this is no world for the lucky. This is all about courage and strength and survival, but of course it's not just that. I mean, this woman was clearly very unlucky in that the one night that her parents are away, you know, some really terrible people came and abused her. I, I don't think that it's a matter of her fortitude uh, as to whether or not she became victim. Now, how she handles that abuse, I think that's what they're talking about with courage and that they can run six miles in the snow and that's more than any of these bad guys could run, you know, in, right. in, in it, their it, that gets back in their to, best light. Right. But, but I do, th- I like that, dis- at least for me, thinking that, okay, this guy clearly, he couldn't have done much more and yet he feels such responsibility he does and he's almost he's almost uh uh but he's also found equanimity he's he's well you're right and i I, to me one of the most moving scenes you might call it too much exposition is but when but when but early on when he makes his uh maybe it's not the the moment when he you know has to tell the father of the murdered girl that she's gone um uh and then in the process of doing that he he, you know, the, 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 the father who's had estranged from his only other child, the, the son, they talk about how you handle pain. And I thought that was really quite exquisite, you know, because it, it was speaking to the alcoholism and the drug abuse on the reservations. And, it, you know, as somebody who has gone through, um, you know, the death of his own daughter, he was trying to find a way within this kind of masculine aphoristic thing that we were talking about earlier about what do you, how do we handle the pain? And, and, the, and, and um, Jeremy Renner's advice is feel the pain, embrace the pain, because that when you get through that, that will allow you to have all the wonderful memories of your daughter come through. Basically saying, if you become an alcoholic, that will erase the memories of your daughter. I thought that was um, subtle and, and also uh, really handled without... Any sentimentality. And here and I agree, I really like that scene as well, but I think that what made me respond to it all the more so is the way, again, that it's framed. I mean, this is it's a very visually dynamic frame. We have the Jeremy Renner's kind of face in the background. We have uh, Gil Birmingham's face in profile in the foreground, and he's a little out of focus. But the way That's that right. these two characters are set up in relation to each other in the consciousness of the frame, we understand that you know, they're kind of two sides of the same coin at this moment. It's one half of a father, you know, who has lost his daughter talking to the other half of the father who has lost his daughter. And it's this moment of, you know, decision, you know, which path will, will Gil Birmingham's character go down? Um, and which path, you know, could the Jeremy Renner character have gone down? And, the sorrow and self-destruction or the one where he embraces the, right. embraces the pain? And in fact, if there's any hope at the end of the, at the end of the uh, wind and river, it's in fact that, uh, that scene reprises towards the end of the film, and we learn that uh, the uh, the the recently bereaved father is going to meet his other child, his son, who's coming into the train station. He's going to pick him up. So their relationship is 
I mean, that's a bit of that's a bit of hope. And the other thing I did want to point out, where the movie also kind of gives a touch of hope, but resists convention, is that uh, the FBI agent and our hero Jeremy Renner do not fall in love. But you know, he visits her in the hospital after his, she's been shot to shreds and somehow survives, beautiful as ever, in her hospital bed. And he brings her a crocodile to cheer her up, to remind her of her origins. Is it a crocodile in or an alligator? And she says it's an alligator, and and um, she begins to laugh, but her ribs hurt, so, so she can't laugh too hard. Alan, there are two two ways that movies I think can describe characters falling in love. One is to actually show them having sex on the screen, and then two is to do what Wind River does. I think that it's I really do not like the romantic platform on which this ended because. These characters, they really are presented as who knows if they'll actually be a couple or actually, you know, have sex in the final scene after the final scene. But this, again, the movie becomes too much about these two people, you know, finding themselves in a romantic way, completely divorced from, you know, it, it's, I don't know, I I find it a little too based on the um, the shock that the f- the Fed agent has experienced, and that was what brought them together, as opposed to the whole purpose of the movie seems to be the grief and the the fatalism of this community in which they live and trying to wrap their heads around, you know, how can anyone survive in this this land where it's that's just overflowing with like desolation. But no, you know, they and that's what I thought the the two father, you know, the conversation between the fathers at the end did perfectly. The conversation between Jeremy Renner and the FBI agent was a little bit a little bit too cute for me. Well, it may be, but the uh, the way I understood it, and it, this also sort of came through at the end where there's the crocodile and the cuteness and, you know, what you say is true. On the other hand, one way to interpret the the the, the, the role of the FBI agent is that she was becoming an Arapaho. Her whole experience of survival, of getting shot up, of showing her true metal, uh, is, is, is the movie's way of her earning the love of this great trapper because in fact they do have this conversation where she says she was weak and that's why she got shot and he says to her oh no you got shot you're a survivor you you're a warrior woman and therefore in the sequel i'll probably ask you to marry me (laughs) or to go hunting with me (laughs) or to go or to go live in the snow for three days right. with no to clothes find, to find right the the next family that has experienced the exact same tragedy as the two that are already described i mean i don't i don't want to be flippant about no, this no, no. but it's also i mean in the context of a drama when you have two people undergo the like detail for detail the exact same thing uh it it borders a bit too much on melodrama sometimes you know in that it, the characters again, the, the the victims cannot distinguish themselves as people because they become too defined by the exact same fact pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, Wind River. I think that this is a solid. You know, uh, I don't want to say anti-Western, but a Western that offers a a clear-eyed perspective on the um, the isolation that Westerns forever have embraced. I mean, isolation has been a vehicle for heroism in Westerns, going back to you know the the beginning of the genre. Here, isolation is something. You know, it's it's where it's more of an existential uh, dread that people have to overcome as opposed to one where you prove your merits as an well, they don't heroic o- individual. That's right. They don't overcome it. I mean, at the heart of all Westerns is, it the, is this kind of Buddhist sense that uh, you're just, you're just tiny uh, in the great universe. And uh, here you, 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 you really are too. 
I'm, I'm going to end our review on my favorite shot of the movie, which is a, a drone shot coming through the mountains high up above the reservation when we see this really puny cluster of buildings in the middle of this huge expanse of snow and mountains. And then we see the car, you know, the, the cop cars driving along in the road and they're about to confront the, you know, who we presume to be the villains. But that one shot of, you know, we've been so trapped in the, like, the labyrinthine just dread and inescapable dread of this reservation to get that perspective all of a sudden and see that it's just, you know, 10 buildings maybe is what makes up this part of the reservation that we, that, that I thought really breathtaking because it said it did exactly what you just said western try to do it shows us how small we are in the context of this especially this landscape but certainly in you know the larger struggles of of humanity um i this this is good i'm glad that we got a good conversation out of wind river it sounds like you are maybe a bit more positive on it than i but i'd certainly recommend seeing it taylor sheridan is someone i am definitely eager to go out and you know after sicario and hell or high water oh. and this I'll definitely be checking out his next movies, and it sounds like you will as well. I will also. He's a really, he's a thinking director. Thank you for coming on the show, Alan. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Tom. All right. You can uh, check out deepfocusradio.com to find a complete archive of over two years of Deep Focus conversations about movies in New Haven. Uh, And we will catch up with you next week, Thursday at noon, for another uh, talk about movies.